today's topic, I believe, will be worth the time that we invest in it. Today, we're talking about the attitude factor. Wow, it's a big one. It's uh, almost like trying to hug an octopus because we are living in such a time of extremes. Uh, we are seeing that this pandemic, this viral pandemic, has magnified uh, every crisis. It's magnified the good. It's magnified the problems as well. And so what we're seeing in society today in domestic situations uh, is a dramatic increase in addictions, in abuse, domestic abuse, child abuse, uh, people being trapped, children trapped in abuse. So as I share this topic about attitude today and the development of Christian character, let's not confuse that with situations where deliverance uh, is necessary and even required. I remember when I was a social worker uh, in Riverside, California, they had to open up a domestic abuse uh, department just for men who were being abused, and that hasn't been discussed very much, but it is a worldwide problem. And so let's put this over here. Let's put the advertisers over here who would have us to believe that if you don't have their toaster or their vacuum cleaner, you are deprived. So we're pushing all of this aside, and we want to learn how to grow in grace and in character forward to the finish instead of stuck in the muck. And as we begin, I would like to uh, pray that God will bless this presentation and bless my speaking and your hearing because this is, a, this is a consolidation of information that uh, I would like to say I just read all these books and got all of this information, but it's really the good book that has brought this to light to me. And at certain points in this presentation, it's going to feel very much like an unauthorized biography. But you know, we have these hearts that need to be renewed by Jesus Christ, and it is a journey. So let's pray as we embark on this discussion today. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we come to you for light. This is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. You would have us to have life and have it more abundantly, and this is an inside job that we're talking about today. And so we thank you, we praise you, be with me and the hearers, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we begin today, I would like to share a statement that I carry with me in my Bible. I read it often. It gives me great encouragement. It says, the forgiveness of sins is not the sole result of the death of Jesus. He made the infinite sacrifice, not only that sin might be removed, but that human nature might be restored. What a thought. Your nature, my nature. We're talking about addictions and habits this week. So that human nature might be restored, rebeautified, reconstructed from its ruins and made fit for the presence of God. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is new. He's a new planting, first the seed, then the bud, then the full bloom. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. That's encouraging to me today, and I know that it must be encouraging to you as well. And so today, we're talking about creation living, your internal environment, So let's review the freedom keys that we have. We are building our whole construct around these freedom keys. How do I get free? How do I stay free? Yesterday, we did a fly over the forest. We looked at the big picture and the principles of the addicted and learning brain. Today, we're looking at creation living. Yesterday, we looked at surrender. Today, we're looking at freedom keys, and that includes creating an environment 
the internal environment of what your outlook is. Uh, the internal environment, how would you define it? Your internal environment is your basic outlook, attitude, and orientation towards life. I've read that about 60% of what we think and do is just automatic. And part of the blessing of the Christian worldview and really getting into the Bible is it begins to retool our orientation, our worldview, and our attitude in life. It affects how you handle problems, people, and personal growth. It affects how you plan. You know, our thoughts are the raw materials for our actions, and attitude shapes our thoughts, often more than circumstances. And so your internal environment is your outlook. Your external environment is what you surround yourself with. Creating a lifestyle, that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow, that brain-body link. Creating connections with God and others. And then situational awareness. So your internal environment is all about overcoming a negative mindset and cultivating thankfulness. This is a major key to moving forward, to getting free and moving forward. So when it talks about mindset, what does that mean? Well, some uh, authors have discussed a fixed versus a learning mindset, and a fixed mindset basically says that my qualities and characteristics are set in stone, unchangeable, this is the way I was born, this is what my environment has done to me, this, this is my genetics, and therefore I am trapped in this, and there is no way uh, to change or to be different. The, the learning mindset says, uh, even though I was born with certain qualities or characteristics, even though I'm from this circumstance or that situation, even though I've made these choices or those choices, that everyone can learn, grow, and change. Which one sounds like a more biblical mindset? If the great master teacher has said to you and I, cease to do evil, learn to do well, and Jesus himself says, learn of me, then the learning mindset is the mindset that will get us somewhere. The fixed mindset is much more concerned with how will I look than what can I learn. So every challenge, every obstacle, every problem, the first failure in a diet spells disaster, the first failure on a test means you're not going to make it in life, the first problem in a marriage means it must not have been made in heaven uh, because there are challenges and problems. If it was from God, it should be easy. But just the fact that something is hard does not mean that God isn't in it. He is training us. He's training our thinking. He's training our behavior, and he's training our attitudes. So a change in attitude and outlook actually changes the way we think about things and the way we act upon those new thoughts. So attitudes drive behavior, and behavior becomes habits. I'll, I'll never forget when I was doing this seminar many years ago, when we first began our Living Free series, the first edition of it, there was a fellow sitting in uh, the front row. He was an ex-con. He'd spent years in prison. He had uh, drug addiction that he was dealing with and many other challenges and problems. He'd been a member of a gang, etc. And as he sat and he listened to the fixed versus the learning mindset, the fixed mindset has no recipe for solving problems. They don't know how to deal with failure. They have a fragile temperament. And he sat there with tears streaming down his face. And after the meeting, he said, this is the root of every failure in my life. It's been the way I have seen myself and life. And he actually had a very perfectionistic attitude that made it difficult for him to deal with failure, problems, and mistakes. But when you sign up for, for the school of Christ, he's going to show you your weak spots. And so we have to reconcile that we're either going to have a learner mindset or a fixed mindset, which is really difficult. Parents can unintentionally foster this mindset. If their child does well on a test, they can say, oh, you're a genius, you're, you know, you're, you're an Einstein, or if they do a little art pro, you're a Picasso, it's natural. It's supposed to be easy. And uh, we've seen athletic champions who uh, 
who have this fixed mindset, and there are examples in the book that I read on this by Dr. Carol Dweck, the name of the book is Mindset, of uh, jumping up and down, breaking their tennis rackets, it was the, the wrong chalk, somebody sneezed in the, in, the, in the bleachers, because, you know, if you're a natural, it should be easy. Uh, and so the learner mindset says you've worked hard, you made mis some mistakes, learn from them. So this is a basic thing. And so overcoming a negative mindset and cultivating thankfulness, that's a whole different category that we're going to talk about today. It's a really major key to success. So it involves refusing self-pity, focusing on solutions instead of problems, not that we ignore them, but we f use our headspace, our mental energy to focus on how can I improve this situation? What is the path? So practicing new attitudes as well. And it really is practice. Practice doesn't just make perfect. Practice doesn't just make permanent. Practice also makes progress. Every day we can have joy in our journey as we learn new things from the experiences that God is going to place us in. There's another quote that I really love, and I try to live by it. It's difficult because I think I was probably born with a quintessential fixed mindset, and so I'm so thankful that this is a tunable trait that we can learn. And in this statement, it says, there, this is an age famous for surface work. And it isn't, isn't that the truth? You, you know, you turn into some TV programs on weight loss, and the doctor is telling you, you know, you just take these raspberry drops. You don't have to change anything. You just take these raspberry drops, and it's going to it's going to burn off all the belly fat. You don't have to change anything. You're going to have energy, feel amazing, get thin, uh, better brain, better... And whoever is selling those things, they've bought an island somewhere. Uh, and they've taken their personal trainer and their chef with them. So there are no shortcuts because really in God's economy, the, what you become as you move toward your goal is actually the most important change that takes place because you may not get there. You, 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 something may happen. But it's who you become as you move forward that brings joy, strength, and character. So this is an age famous for surface work. It's a lifelong work growing in Christian quality, character. The Bible calls it sanctification, holiness. It's unattainable by those who are not willing to strive for it in God's appointed way, and what is God's appointed way? Slow, toilsome steps. Will you sign up today? We cannot afford to make any mistake in this matter, but we want day by day to be growing up into Christ, our living head. So successful people are not mistake-free, but they refuse to give up. Here is the perseverance, the patience, the endurance of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So perseverance. What is perseverance? The Bible says we're to bring forth fruit with perseverance. How does deliverance happen? Well, perseverance says, I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to press into Christ through the difficulty and on to victory. The flesh says it's not important or it's not urgent. I'm going, to, I'm going to defer this to the busiest day on the calendar, which is tomorrow. But the Spirit says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So how does deliverance happen? How does it happen? It's going through with God in the midnight hour when no one hears you or cheers you. There's no pretty music playing. You need surgery, and someone else got their miracle. They got their healing. This is where character and strength are grown. So the flesh is a gambler. We want things quick, fast, and easy. But quick, fast, and easy is fragile. So as we go through this presentation today, I want you to commit with me to take those steps. We cannot gain strength of body and mind by looking at pictures of mountains. We have to climb them. The spirit is an investor. So it teaches us to persevere when there's no immediate reward in sight. So let's look at the attitude factor. Attitude, not aptitude, 
is a major key to success. Changing your attitude and thinking changes your brain, influencing your behavior. That's, that's a pretty amazing statement because the Bible talks about having the Father's mind, his name in our forehead. This, this evidences character change. So when I was uh, a runaway, angry bulimic, I'm sure that my brain looked differently than it looks now as a surrendered Christian many years later, working this program, working this cooperative program with God. You know, I can't do what only God can do. I cannot give myself a new heart and a new inclination, a new drive, a new motive, new courage, new faculties. I can't do that. But he's not going to do what I need to do either. And so I need to commit to cooperate with the impulse of the Spirit to take that next step. You know, any kind of change, especially internal change, is very difficult. It involves pain. Staying stuck is difficult. Staying stuck in the mud is painful, and it's difficult. Change is painful, and it's difficult. There's nothing easy in either path. And in both cases, there's light at the end of the tunnel. In this case, where we choose to just stay stuck, that light at the end of the tunnel is a train. And you're in for it. The light at this end of the tunnel is Christ. It's his light. It's joy, beauty, freedom, release. Because if the sun will set you free, you will be free indeed. What a wonderful promise. So, Attitude is really a little thing, but it makes a great big difference. Sometimes I have this program before I ever talk about dietary fat, fiber, exercise, sleep. This is, this is the starting point for change. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You're just not going to get very far until you change it. So we're going to look at some flat tire attitudes today uh, that can leave us stranded, limping by the side of the road, and we want to start to recognize and develop those attitudes that can help get us moving, growing, and gaining ground in every area of our lives. And why? So that we can just live a life that's self-focused? No, so that we can get our minds off of ourselves, be about the Lord's business, his work, his mission for our lives, so that we can be a living epistle for him in a dark world. So, you know... You may have a dark past, but you can have a bright future. And I've made up my mind that if Christ brings me to it, he'll bring me through it. You, if you were with us yesterday or the last meeting, you heard my testimony of being a, a runaway, using drugs, bulimic for 20 years. And I'm the health ministries director and the director of Lifestyle Matters. Uh, what committee, what committee in heaven uh, made that decision, but I'm grateful today because I know that I need to hear the very things that I speak uh, lest after I've preached to others, I myself become a castaway. So don't let yesterday's reason become today's excuse. There are reasons why people are doing the things that they're doing. There are reasons why people are drug addic addicted, crippled, uh, ad addicted to food, whatever it is. And yet Christ holds the key to deliverance. I love this statement. It says, no soul who believes in Christ through his faith, excuse me, no soul who believes in Christ, though his faith may be weak and his steps wavering as those of a little child, is to be lightly esteemed. By all that has been given us, by all that has been given us in advantages over another, be it education and refinement, nobility of character, Christian training, religious experience, we are in debt to those less favored. And so far as lies in our power, we are to minister unto them. Trembling souls who have many objectionable traits of character are the special charge of angels. They are ever-present where they're most needed with those who have the hardest battles with self to fight. The worst genes, the most awful environment. They've made the most horrible choices. Special angels are their charge and whose surroundings are the most discouraging. 
In this ministry, Christ's true followers will cooperate. So let's take a look at some of these flat tire attitudes. A negative mindset says, I can't. It's impossible. Things will never change. Everything is against me. Everyone is out to get me. <laughs> have you ever? I, I have uh, been infected with this mindset. And when my husband and I first got married, I remember uh, I, would, I would start on that path of just noticing everything that was faulty, wrong, unfavorable, sad, gloomy. Uh, Charles Spurgeon talks about some people who are so constituted that if there were only one bog in the desert, they would soon be up to their necks in it. If there were only one lion in the forest, they would hear it roar. And I would have to say that I can identify with that. And uh, he started singing this terrible song to me. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, think I'll go eat worms. It's a horrible song. It's worse. It gets worse. So I won't sing it to you. But it would make me laugh because, you know, when we have this mindset, we are rarely accurate and uh, it certainly doesn't lead anywhere. So a positive uh, mindset, the foundation of this mindset is hope, change, a path. You see, the, neg the negative way of thinking <clears throat> leaves God out. We may, not, we may not know that we're doing that, but that's really what's happening. The saying that I grew up with in my family was, it's always something. You never know. And I grew up pretty much thinking that way. But I'm so grateful today for the power, <clears throat> the power of change. God is called the God of hope, the God of comfort. So the outlook that you generally carry, <clears throat> pardon me, the outlook that you generally carry in life determines how you deal with adversity. So our, even in the absence of adversity, the negative person is still miserable because there's not just the what is, there's the what if. I mean, it's okay now. And media helps us with this. You watch the weather, it's nice today where we are, but it's bad somewhere, and we're going to find out about it. So we are so machine-gunned with negative information that it's very easy to become buried in negativity and bitterness and uh, hopelessness. Those who have a difficult temperament take on a rigid, perfectionistic perspective to life. Their tolerance for unplanned and unpleasant uh, events is low. They just seem to notice every trifle that isn't just right. And it occupies their attention and generally makes them miserable. It's called an exposure effect. What we think about what the focus is in our life is what we're going to pay attention to. <coughs> and, gener <coughs> excuse me. and generally speaking, what we pay attention to is what we're going to find. So although temperament is present at birth and is presumably influenced by our genes, it is not set in stone and can be modified. It can be cultivated and practiced one choice, one attitude, at a time. So rewiring that attitude uh, will help us to gain some traction in this, in this area. So a positive mindset says, I can, it's possible, I can experience or initiate some positive change every day, and even if I can't, I know that God is going to use this. He's either going to solve this problem so I can take my Calgon bath, Calgon take me away, or he is going to make me stronger to meet it. Now, that's a powerful mindset. That's the mindset that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Circumstances are going to be my helpers in this mindset. God will put the right people in my path. His providence is at work. You know, so many of God's miracles uh, don't look like miracles or feel like miracles. When, when Paul's ship was broken up in that storm with all those prisoners, and he was floating on a piece of board in the ocean and bitten by a viper, that probably didn't feel like a miracle, but the passengers were saved, just as he said. When he was uh, let down through a basket over, over the wall of a city to escape his persecutors, uh, that was very uncomfortable. When Peter was let out of jail by the, by the angels, the angels said, get your jacket and your, and your sandals. You're still in this world. So we make our plans, we prepare, 
We try to create buffers, but when it all falls through, we have to understand that not every storm is in the forecast, and God is in, in, in charge. <clears throat> now, this is a big one, and it's a very difficult germ to, de to detect. Self-pity. Self-pity, Elizabeth Elliot said, is a death from which there is no resurrection, a sinkhole from which no helping hand can save you because you have chosen to be there. So forward to the finish, we've got to get out of this pit. So what is self-pity? Self-pity is a self-indulgent preoccupation with real or imagined problems. There's no hope in self-pity, no plan, no purpose, no promise, and no perspective. And it is often a pathway to that favorite indulgence, either unbelief, malice, depression, or some sinful behavior that has been our default for finding comfort. So understanding the difference between self-pity and sadness is, is really a major thing. <clears throat> One time, my colleague Evelyn and I were having meetings for a group, a large group, about 150 people, and it was mandatory. <laughs> and this began to bother me, that they had to be at this meeting. And so, of course, I showed up early so that I could appropriately worry about it. And Evelyn, um, is a, she's had many challenges in her life, but she has a completely different way of looking at these kinds of things. It's been a joy to work with her over the years <clears throat> because of it and learn from her. So I started doing my duty and worrying about this. Um, I called it prayer, but I was just worrying in front of God. She finally drives up. I went out to her car, and I said, Evelyn, uh, we have a problem, a really serious problem. And she said, what's that? I said, these people do not want to be at this meeting. And she looked at me, and she said, sure they do. They just don't know it yet. And she threw her head back and laughed, drove off, without the stomach ache that I was suffering from. I'm so thankful for these learning moments that we can experience. One night, uh, we traveled a lot together. We were having worship, and um, we always had these great worships. Uh, and I, I just appreciate her attitude so much. Although, you know, somebody that happy, you have to wonder if they glow in the dark. Uh, she doesn't, and she's had her challenges. But I got curious, and I said, Evelyn, what's the first thought that you have in the morning when you wake up? What? She said, oh, I just think it's a brand new day. I wonder what God has in store, what the plan is. I, I wonder what I'm going to learn today. And I, I was astonished by this. I was astonished. I've been a Christian for a long time. And, I, and she looked at me, and she said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, so far, so good. <laughs> so, you know, we're all on a journey. We all have things that we are learning. We are learning to rejoice, praise. Our God inhabits praise. In him is fullness of joy. In his presence <clears throat> excuse me, is fullness of joy. So we want to take time for reflection. We don't want to live in some kind of fairy tale, Pollyanna mindset that doesn't understand or realize reality. We want to take time for reflection, but we need to resist this self-indulgent, self-preoccupied, self-pity. Now, there will be times of sadness, but we can resist temptation. Sadness is actually a good thing because it can take us offline. It might, uh, it might increase our pain enough so that we decide that we're going to make some changes. We can see things through a different point of view. God uses affliction and trials to, uh, to mature his people. In fact, Ellen White says that faith grows strong in earnest conflict with doubt and fear. So I reminded Evelyn about this. So rewired attitude number two is self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness is not forgetting personal, physical, or emotional needs. It is not. Uh, you may be actually enabling a toxic, destructive, abusive situation by doing this. However, it is finding joy in ministering to the needs of others. 
I remember uh, the first or second Valentine's Day that m my husband would, had died. He was gone. It was such a lonely time, and, and, uh, and so I made a decision in the morning. I could either be miserable and sad and, and indulge uh, an attitude of, of great sorrow. And, you know, people talk about loss when you lose a loved one that you'll get, you know, you'll get over this. Like it's getting over the flu, but it changes the entire trajectory of your life. And, and I am thankful that I am thankful for the treasure in the sand that is left after a storm. We become more compassionate, more merciful. Uh, we listen better. We feel with people instead of just feeling sorry for them. There are treasures to be had in these trials. But this morning I had to make a decision and I decided that rather than being miserable, and uh, recounting uh, my sad experience in this loss, I decided to go to the grocery store and smile at everyone I saw. <laughs> I didn't get arrested. That was a good thing. Um, and I was able to connect with some people there and have some conversations. And it was a very meaningful experience to me. I went, I went home feeling vitalized and changed with a different mindset and a different attitude. Don't underestimate the value of just making eye contact with a stranger, being kind to someone that's by themselves. You see someone in the store you don't know. I remember when I uh, closed loans for a financial institution and I did all the, the bad checks and keeping delinquencies down and, and that kind of thing. It was for a finance company. Um, there was this one salesman. He was really annoying, very pushy. We didn't know that he lived uh, in, at the dealership. I was not a Christian at that time, and so we would mock and make fun of this man. One day I called to close a loan, and he had shot himself and killed himself. So we don't know the uh, trouble and trials that people live with. We have no idea what's beneath the surface, but God does. To this day, I am sorry that I did not have the Christian spirit of Jesus Christ to reach out to someone who had a very difficult personality. So flat tire attitude number three, this is a big one, unforgiveness. Now what happened to you may not be excusable, but it is forgivable. So unforgiveness is like taking a poison pill and expecting somebody else to die. So it, it fosters bitterness, physical and mental illness, including inflammation in the brain, which can cause those new nerve cells we talked about in the last meeting to actually die. Uh, because inflammation causes cell death in the brain. Physical and mental illness, depression, addiction, and failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. So what does a forgiving attitude mean? Uh, it's really not a feeling, and it's not a one-and-done thing. That would be like thinking that you're going to take one shower and be done with dirt. Uh, every time that memory comes up, you may have to experience forgiveness again and put this thing in perspective and release that person. Uh, I remember when I first became a Christian, I had to forgive some pretty serious um, violations against me. And one scripture that I found that helped me to do this was the scripture that says that until we come to Christ, we are led captive by Satan at his will. So when I saw those persons, when I saw those people as prisoners themselves, captive of the enemy of Jesus Christ, I began to understand that I could forgive and actually pray for them. Imagine Stephen praying for Paul. He was being, uh, Stephen was being stoned to death, and he said, lay not this sin to their charge. Little did he know. I mean, here was Paul, a zealot. He caused women and children to blaspheme in the temple. This was a cruel man. And Paul has written most of the New Testament. He was Saul then. And so it's absolutely, uh, the prayer to forgive goes beyond me, myself, and I. It actually is praying for that person to become mobilized in God's army somehow, some way, or praying for justice. Absolutely, we need to pray for justice. What is one of the prayers of the Bible? It is time for thee to act, O Lord they have made void thy law. I have some friends that have been through such horrific situations, 
We have talked about this. There are some things that are too painful to even bring to memory. So there's a difference between repression and suppression. So a, a repressed memory may cause all kinds of collateral damage because we're not, we haven't dealt with it. But suppression is a constant, I mean, it's a, um, it's a conscious decision to put it away. That, that is an amazing gift from God to be able to put it away. So there are some things that we just, I just put in a box with a ribbon around it and I hand it to God. And I say, please deal with this because I don't want to talk about it. I've chosen to put it away. It's a, it's a blessed step in healing. I don't have to go to primal therapy and scream my lungs out. Uh, I just give it to God. I put it away. The Bible says, stand back, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. But I don't want the offspring of what has happened to, to be in my heart. I don't want to carry the offspring of someone else's evil. I don't want to carry that offspring in my own mouth. Or I won't be able to eat the good word of God and become an agent for Jesus Christ. I will become part of the problem instead of part of the solution. So forgiveness is not ignoring or excusing wrong. It's not becoming aloof or calloused. It's not avoiding conflict resolution. It's not allowing perversion or abuse. It's not failing to follow through with, consequence, with consequences. But it is going to get you out of the debt-collecting business. You can't get money out of an ATM that's empty. Jesus Christ himself will compensate. He will fill you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will give you what you need for each day. So the attitude of forgiveness is not necessarily a feeling, but it brings peace. We have to forgive ourselves. I, I was talking to someone the other day. We were getting ready to do a radio program, and we were talking about pride and how you know, eloquence, speaking, being able having a following, it, it, having a celebrity preacher, these things can foster pride. And, and it's such a dangerous thing. And I told, the, I told this friend, I said, you know, all I have to do is uh, spend five minutes thinking about my past and some of the stupid decisions I made even last week. And he said, you need five minutes? <laughs> so you get the point. So forgiveness, an attitude of forgiveness brings peace a peace that passes understanding. and In fact, Jesus says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it umpire. It's more accurate. It improves physical and mental health, resiliency, freedom, meaning, and purpose in life. There is a purpose for what you have been through. God will use it to win souls. A resentful attitude about the past can quench opportunities for experiencing gratitude in the present. When an offense comes, you have the choice. You can let it go or you can hate. And hate is a bitter pill. New experiences of gratitude can greatly diminish resentment about negative memories of the past. So this has a sculpting effect on the brain. When it says the, that the Father's name in is, is in our forehead, this sculpting process is leaving these changes embossed on our material selves. How many of you would like a more beautiful brain? Put your hand up wherever you are. More beautiful. Beautiful brain under imaging. The Bible says be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgives you. I just love this so much in uh, 2 Timothy. It says, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife and quarrels. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel and dispute and argue, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient with difficult people. So I don't want to be the kind of person that everybody around me has to keep me fixed. Dane used to say, true love seeks first to understand and then to be understood. As far as possible, we need to make things right financially, morally, emotionally, and spiritually. Why do you think that is the case? Because as we reason from cause to effect, it will deepen our own walk with God, deepen our conviction 
Uh, it's a protection against repeating the behavior. I remember when I gave my heart to God, I had so much to make right. I think I wrote 50 letters to different stores and different entities, uh, and I would quote in my letter. I got on my knees with a piece of paper and a pen, and I just started writing down every single thing I could think of of whom I'd offended, stolen from, because, you know, when we engage in these behaviors, uh, there's always a justification. I'm hurt. I deserve this. Nobody treats me right, so therefore, I'm entitled to, to use these ugly behaviors. And it's really, oh, it's, it's really like drowning yourself. It's not really hurting anyone as much as it's hurting you. So I wrote down Proverbs 28:13, probably 50 times or more, whoso covers his sins will not prosper, but when we confess, we, uh, we will, God will show mercy. And I shared that, and I wrote to so many people, and I, I am so grateful that I had that experience, making things right morally. If you've been 99% right and 1% wrong, I'm sorry, that was wrong. I, am, I was selfish for what I did. Let's practice that. I'm sorry, that was wrong. I was wrong. I was being selfish. I love that because it actually clears the air for that other person to make their choice, but we then have the opportunity to grow in Jesus Christ. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and are of great loving kindness to all that call upon you. Sometimes it's harder to forgive ourselves than anyone else, and I can be very, very preoccupied with my mistakes uh, it used to be that before I would speak, I would get a migraine, just thinking about the mistakes that I was going to make. And then afterwards, you get another migraine because you did make mistakes. Well, I was telling this to a, a friend one time, and she said, Vicki, you're special, but you're not that special. Nobody remembers. They're golfing. And it was wonderful to hear that. You know, it's like that perfectionistic musician that one sour note and they think it, the whole concert is ruined. It takes the pleasure out of just being ourselves, out of just sharing and growing together. We are flawed. We make mistakes, but we're going to keep saying yes to God. We're on a journey with him. We're in school. So we need to recognize these negative attitudes, thoughts, and feelings and replace them. Yes, the Bible says put off your former conduct and conversation according to the, to the lusts of the past and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to actively pursue these traits. Replace them with positive promises from God's word. Refuse to dwell and obsess on past mistakes or future fears. No life is free from challenges, mistakes, and obstacles. Successful people don't give up up. They get up. Remember, practice makes progress. We are what we repeatedly do, Aristotle said. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. I love this by Dr. John Rady, psychiatrist from Harvard University. He said, changing your pattern of thinking, that's mindset. The Word of God is a brain pattern changer. That's what it is. We are cleansed by the word of God. We're born again by that word. We're vivified by that word. We grow by that. And time alone with God inspires us, but time with each other matures us. That's where we're going to discover our flaws and our foibles, not only in ourselves, but in our friends. That's the opportunity to grow in social grace. So changing your pattern of thinking changes the brain's structure. So let's talk about another one today as we finish up, excessive worry. I remember, I, I think a lot of people are infected with this, and they call it discernment. Uh, I know that I have. I remember one time my husband came from a very stable family. Uh, nobody was throwing stew pots at their heads during dinner or anything like that, so he was just a really nice guy. And... Uh, we were going through some kind of challenge. We were in ministry, and there, I can't remember if it was financial or what was going on, kids, or maybe all of it all together. Maybe the car was broken. We had so many car problems. I said, just grow strawberries in it. Let's at least get some use out of it. Anyway, he's upstairs working, and I'm downstairs worrying. And I go upstairs to bring him some water. I said, what are you doing? He said, 
I'm working. I said, how can you work when there's so much to worry about? What's wrong with you? He said, Vicki, I can't solve it, so I'm doing what I can do. I said, that's ridiculous. I said, I never heard of anything so ridiculous. Do I have to do all the worrying for this family? He said, Vicki, you know how you tell people to go on a walk, a 10-minute walk will improve mood for an hour? He waved goodbye. <laughs> Who do you think had the brain stuff to solve the problem? Who was, whose brain cells were committing suicide? Mine. Whose brain was getting stronger? Who was connected? He was cool, calm, and connected with God. So excessive worry increases stress. God wants us to trust him. It inhibits learning. Serotonin levels go in the basement. You're going to be headed for the donut shop. It reduces problem solving. It's rarely accurate, and it prompts wrong responses. One time Dane said to me, what is your motto? Ready, shoot, aim? Think. This is a process that we have to learn. In the scientific literature, it's called self-restraint. Praise God. Temperance is not a list. Some people live their lives by all these endless lists. But temperance is actually self-restraint. It's not a list. It is a character trait of God. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That is the character of God, transplanted into you in the form of seed. You must water it, nurture it, grow it, practice it. Dwelling on, on the worst possible outcome. This is catastrophizing. Dwelling on the worst possible outcome of any situation in which there is a, any possibility of an unpleasant outcome. My husband used to ask me, why do you bring a snow jacket to the beach? I don't understand. Do you think we're going to have a blizzard? Well, I would say you never know. But if the brain is busy trying to filter out uncomfortable noise, worries, or other concerns, there's less brain stuff for actually perceiving. So the rewired attitude would be gratitude. It lowers stress. You have something to focus on that you can be thankful for. Jesus Christ and what he has done for you to build in you and to deliver you his plan for your life, using your trials as treasures to grow, increases your ability to learn, enhances problem solving. It's usually accurate, and it prompts appropriate responses. So can gratitude really make a difference? As I close today, I want to share the story of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. The literature tells us that gratitude, optimism, diligence, perseverance under stress are linked to better mental as well as physical health. So these traits are linked to stronger relationships, better mental health, stronger immune function, fewer deaths from all causes. Gratitude is the appreciation of a benefit received, a state of being thankful, or the quality of feeling or being grateful. Optimism, what is that? It's the tendency to expect the best possible outcome, to dwell on and ruminate over the most hopeful aspects of a situation. I want to get to Johnny's story here. Gratitude is a very demanding quality. It is actually a discipline. It's an exercise, and it doesn't come easily to most of us. But is gratitude just for good times when things are going your way? You might know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. She had become a Christian as a young teenager. Three months later, she had a diving accident, broke her neck, and has been paralyzed from the neck down for more than 40 years. She was bitter, of course, understandably. She went to faith healings. She saw that they were a ruse. Uh, she didn't understand what the Bible taught. She was a suffering woman, and she talks about this suffering and learning to give thanks in a situation like that despite trials and suffering which she shares in her booklet a thankful heart in a world of hurt to give thanks she said in the midst of pain and problems is to take a rugged and demanding step of faith based on god's command in first thessalonians in everything give thanks it doesn't say for everything it says in everything. And you know, I'm going to share with you a scripture that I know that she relies on. And it's found 
in um, Romans chapter 5. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, not through perfect circumstances, not even through perfect health, not through perfect family, perfect job, perfect anything. We have a perfect Savior. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith unto this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we glory in tribulation. That means we show his glory in tribulation. Tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not make Ashamed. She has a worldwide wheelchair ministry, and she now has a different perspective. She says, you know, it's one thing to be paralyzed from the neck down in the United States. It's another thing to be laying on the streets uh, in Bangladesh, paralyzed, under the caste system where fate has brought you there. And so I thank God for her ministry. She says, I would, I would never have had my eyes open to this ministry. I am thankful for my disability. She has had two bouts with cancer, double mastectomy. She suffers from chronic pain. And I have to tell you, she's been an inspiration to me of what God can produce in a suffering life for Jesus Christ in ministry. There's a lot of joy in following Christ. There's a lot of misery in holding on to bad attitudes. In fact, there's no pill that will fix it. But the price of your life and mine through Jesus Christ will. He has a ministry for you of joy, perseverance, and growth. Will you accept his invitation today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we can examine these fleas that occupy our hearts. We want them gone day by day, little by little. We thank you. We praise you. We give ourselves to you unreservedly for change, beautiful change. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.